Hi, I'm Jesse, and welcome to Red Cloaks Radio, where we are counting down to see if the Massachusetts legislature will or will not pass the Roe Act this session. This is a very exciting day. We've got five days left and a really great guest. Joining me is my co-host. I'm Karen Rose. I am also a Boston Red Cloak, and I'm very happy today, which is July 27th, to welcome Rep State Rep Carmine Gentile, who represents the 13th Middlesex District. That includes Framingham, Marlborough, Sudbury, and Wayland. We are happy to have you here with us today. You are a NARAL champion, road champion, and, <laughs> and uh, your thoughts about the ROW Act, what needs to be done, and why you are so uh, supportive of it would be of great interest to many of the other thousands of people across the Commonwealth who are trying very, very hard to get this voted on by Friday. So thank, thank you and welcome. Well, thank you, Karen. Thank you, Jesse. I'm happy to be with you today. And I'm working hard to have the ROAC pass. Uh, women need to have access to reproductive health care. And that includes abortions. And it, it's really important that we maintain that right and that access in Massachusetts. We have uh, clinics uh, and hospitals and doctors throughout the Commonwealth that are able to provide these services. We're fortunate. There are some states, as you probably know, where there might be one clinic in the whole state, which is horrible. And uh, what does that mean? That means that in those states, there are women that don't get the health care that they require. And sometimes they can have really bad results, not being able to get the health care you require. So. I'm really happy to be with you today and to advocate for the for the Roe Act. I've reached out it's to Speaker DeLeo to say that we need to pass it. I've noted the fact that we haven't passed the budget yet and that it's we're nearing the end of the month. I've told him that I'm willing to, I'd, I'd like to continue into August, pass the bill. If we have to pass it in August, pass it in August because we need to do it, it needs to happen. It's so refreshing to hear you. Now, we want to just let people know we're listening as we record this. You're actually, you're on a break, but it's, you're in session today. Things are happening. We are in session today. We have an economic development bill that with 499 proposed amendments, four <laughs> which I filed myself. And uh, it'll, it'll take us a day and a night and, and maybe into tomorrow morning to maybe tomorrow to, to finish the bill with all of those proposed amendments. We're in a recess right now, so I have the time to talk with you, and I'm happy to do so. Now, you've just done some tremendous work on police reform that kept you up legislating late into the evening hours, and definitely it's a sign of how much energy there is between you and your colleagues to see things through. We really appreciate that. Do you have any reflections on the success of moving that forward? So I'm really happy that the House was able to vote the bill that we did. The Senate had, had preceded us with their bill, and uh, I was looking at their bill and reading their bill, and then realized, well, I better switch over. <laughs> We're gonna have our own bill to read. I will tell you that the preparation, before we, before we began debate, the preparation for this bill was day in and day out for well over a week, very many hours a day, every day, talking with people, reading, listening. And then the bill itself, you know, took several days. So uh, three days. So we've had 
budgets. We've had annual budgets that have occupied less of our time. I'm not, I mean, I'm totally serious. And one of my police chiefs wrote to me uh, yesterday or yesterday or this morning and, and I answered him. And uh, when I was writing back to him, I, I realized and I told him, I said, you know, this in the five and a half years I've been in the legislature, this police reform bill has occupied, has taken up more time than any other bill and, or, or even a budget in, in the last five and a half years. So we put a lot of time into it, but you know, neither the House bill nor the Senate bill are gonna become law. We'll have to have a conference committee work out the, the differences and come to a compromise. And then, you know, we'll vote it um, if we're still in formal session. If we're not, then, you know, it's, it would really have to wait until, until next year to come back and start, start over. But we'll have a head start on it if we have to take it back up next year. It's such an interesting process comparison because many of us take heart in seeing the action that you've all put into this recent process. And then something like the Row Act has been out there for way longer. It's been out there since last January. So we know that all of our elected officials have had much more time to process it, think about it. There was a big hearing last summer and people have, as we understand it, been able to give their input to members of their joint judiciary committee. So that process seems very different and much more traditional and methodical. And I guess we're curious, do you feel like it has a chance to make it there by Friday based on the preparation that's been done on the Row Act over the past? Okay. Absolutely. You know, our judiciary chair, Claire Cronin, reached out to each and every member in the House. And I think, I think virtually every House member got together with her for a one-on-one -on -one, uh, 15 or 20 minute uh, session to talk about the act or about how, how they felt about one part or another of it, you know, and she, she took the time and effort to do that, to get input from everyone. It's had plenty of time, thought and effort. So I'm uh, looking forward to it coming to the floor, being debated and passed. Really appreciate that you've been named a champion and definitely you have been willing to speak about it. One thing we know is that it's tough to talk about reproductive access and abortion for a lot of people generationally, religious backgrounds, there's just a general discomfort. How have you found the experience of hearing from your constituents who are, feel very strongly about this? Are you comfortable getting the feedback? What's yeah, it I, like? I, I am comfortable getting the feedback because, you know, women who, and men, but, you know, mostly women are speaking up, and th those who are opposed to it, you know, they really, it, it's sort of like just this black and white thing, no shades of gray, and the people that are for it, you know, they, they really appreciate, you know, seem to appreciate more what's involved. I mean, I don't think there is any person that, you know, if they had a choice between, you know, okay, we can have this child and that's fine, or having an abortion, I mean, you know, it would be nice, good to have a child. But there are plenty of, you know, there are circumstances where it makes sense and, and it's the woman's choice and it works, you know, to, to have an abortion. And, uh, and that's only right. That's only right. So I've been looking at this issue for years, and I think everybody in the legislature has been looking at this issue for years, you know, whether it's been brought up or it hasn't been brought up because we're aware of it. So absolutely, positively, there's been plenty of time to discuss it and go over it and up and down and around. So, you know, I think everyone's ready to vote on it yesterday. I have found in the many weeks and months that I've been advocating for Roe that, People are shocked that when I 
talk to them about the current bans and barriers. There, some are moved by the fact that the bans and barriers mainly um, discriminate against people without means, uh, have no, no health insurance, they have no access to information, are also without resources. And, and so when I, when I speak with them about the two main components, the 24-week ban and the parental consent, the 24-week ban doesn't seem to require much discussion. As soon as you explain how it discriminates against women and the fact that the entire medical profession in Massachusetts turns its back on women who require or choose, rather choose, to terminate a fatal fetal anomaly pregnancy, they get it. They, you don't have to tell them more than once. The big hang-up seems to be parental consent. It seems to me the immediate reaction from people who don't support the abolishment of parental consent, they act as if it somehow is a reflection on their ability to be a good parent. So there's a lot of putting themselves in the wrong place when this question is posed. Have you come up against one or the other of the objections? Um, yes. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah. Yes, I've come up against both of them. So with the requiring women under the age of 18 to uh, have judicial consent, you know, if if don't have if they're not informing their parents and getting parental consent to require them to go before a judge, it's really hurtful and and really that's all it is is hurtful because We've had over 20,000 judicial hearings on, uh, held for young women who, who sought the court's permission. And out of those over 20,000 hearings, we've had exactly one that resulted in a, in a judge saying no. So what is that? Well, that means that, that the opportunity, the, the, the times when a judge is gonna say no is virtually, virtually zero. I mean, one out of 20,000 plus, that's, that's that's zero to me. What does that mean? That means that in Massachusetts, we can trust that doctors are, oper are, are working ethically uh, and that they're giving their patients sound advice and that they realize the age and maturity level of their, of their patients and they're acting with them accordingly. So I'm really happy to, to, to get rid of that uh, requirement of going before a judge because all it does is lessen, lessen the access to necessary health care. That's all it does. And now on the other subject, the, the having, uh, terminating a pregnancy in, in instances where there are fatal fetal def, uh, deformities uh, after 24 weeks, such that the, the, the fetus would die either prior to birth or within hours or at most a day or two days of, from birth. I, I, again, now this is horrible that a woman would have to travel outside of Massachusetts to have this procedure done. It's absolutely horrible. I mean, I was really uh, taken, a friend of mine, uh, this happened to her daughter. And uh, in fact, I mean, it happened to her daughter and her daughter was stood up and made a, a video about it that, you know, that narrow uh, Planned Parenthood uses. I had no idea. I saw the, I saw the video, and I knew who it was. Wow! And so it's uh, now my daughter's going to have a baby. Her due date is two days from now. 
two days from now and she sees a doctor every week now and or has seen a doctor for every week and everything says oh the baby's fine but you know we're fortunate we're fortunate if that baby had been had had a fatal fetal deformity my god i wouldn't want my daughter to have to keep carrying it uh, just to have it die in the womb or die you know upon birth i have no problem in, in this you know being part of the law we need it we need it you know it seems to me that massachusetts the law it's always behind technology and science and, and medicine but we seem to be more so than some other states sadly one of my colleagues in the legislature his daughters were born profoundly deaf. And uh, at the time, Massachusetts law wouldn't allow cochlear implants. Cochlear implants allow someone who's profoundly deaf to hear. But Massachusetts law then, when they were born, didn't allow it. So he and his wife had to go to Colorado to have their babies get these implants. Now they've, you know, they've grown up into you know, beautiful, wonderful young women. And, uh, but you know, um, I mean, politically, at that time, it wasn't allowed, you know, in Massachusetts. I, I believe now we do, you know, but uh, so this Roe Act, I'm just really looking forward to, to voting it into law. I know it would pass the House tomorrow, it would pass the House today if it was put in front of us, and it would pass the Senate as well. I believe Governor Baker will sign it. So what are we, what are we waiting for? Well, absolutely. We really appreciate your dedication. And we like your rosy, optimistic view um, mm -hmm. in these remaining days. Our last question we just would like to ask you is, what do you think is the best thing that people like us can do to encourage passage of the Roe Act here in the ninth inning? What can you do? You, you can telephone your representatives, telephone your st state senators, you can call the governor's office, you can, you know, the old fashioned snail mail. Oh, no, 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 don't do the snail mail. It's, it's, it's not getting delivered. <laughs> it was hard to get it in the best of times. <laughs> Forget it. Don't do snail mail. They won't, no one will get it. Email and telephone calls. And, uh, and maybe, maybe a demonstration in front of the state house with a hundred or, or, or so uh, people. Why not? Why not? You know, I'll tell you the good news. I'll tell you the good news. We're in Massachusetts. And when the Supreme Court, who doesn't allow anyone to demonstrate within 300 feet of its door, struck down a Massachusetts law, which didn't allow people to protest within 35 feet of a clinic, a women's reproductive health clinic, it took us about us, it took the legislature about two weeks to come up with a law that you know, protected women, and we did it. You know, two weeks, boom, we did it. And you know something? I mean, the good news is I, I think we'll get the Roe Act through in the next week or two or three. But uh, I'll tell you, if we did, if we don't, and and the Supreme Court takes Roe and just gets rid of it, we will. I have to believe we would stand up just as we did previously. We would just uh, put it through immediately. But let's not wait for that to happen. Let's just take care of it. Preparation. Be prepared. That's right. Karen, do you want to ask a closing question? It's more a comment. I am so grateful, as I know Jesse is and the other Red Cloaks and progressive groups who listen to our radio, just so thrilled to hear your heartfelt support 
of this act that so many of us really believe in and have done the blood, sweat, and tears for many years. I'm old enough to remember pre-Roe versus Wade in the bad old days. And your confidence gives us confidence. And I want to thank you very much for your kindness. Well, Karen and, and Jesse, and thank you very much for having me today. And let's look forward to the day when the House and the Senate pass this and the governor signs it and uh, we have it behind us. We're prepared. Thank you. We really appreciate your championship for all of us. It can't be there. Thank you so much. Thank you.